great sound tone to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> we're on there. Come on, swear. Sometimes I go into these podcasts with a pretty good idea of my guest career and what they're all about. But it's fair to say I did not see the revelation at the beginning of my chat with Chris Brooks coming. Beyond that, he was a brilliant guest with some great stories and a single-minded desire to fulfil his dream of getting on Capital. He also chats about some heartwarming encounters with Parkey, how he was told a member of a boy band was going to co-present his show with him and randomly review computer games, and a terrifying story which took place on another well-known presenter, Stagdo. Oh, and all the capital content that you can handle. There's some strong language and a bit of adult content in the episode, so let's crunch and roll. Oh yeah. Chris, how are you? Do you know what? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much. For, for for being on Crunch and Roll, appreciate you you coming. Oh, you just said to me before we hit record that we have met, but I I can't remember. I must scream. <laughs> yeah, I drunk. think a lot of our careers are like that, aren't they? And you, you mention people's names, you go, "We have met," and I'm like, "Have we?" And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, where are you from originally? So I was born in Eastbourne in Sussex. Um, lived there till I was about eight or nine. Mum and dad split up, and we moved with my mum to Watford. So I kind of grew up in, in Watford, I suppose, where you do your secondary schooling is where your class is growing up or what your football team is. I'm a Watford fan, so I'd say I'm from Watford. Where did the passion for the wireless start then? It was um, when I was younger. It's probably it's probably the weird. I'm a full anorak, so I'm, I literally had Bedroom FM listening to Hursty's um, on my way in today, actually, to her crunch and roll. Very, very similar. I was addicted to radio. I think... At the beginning, and this is, I mean, this is a, a completely different subject and a completely different podcast and something I've never really talked about, and I'm starting to talk about it a bit more. My family, I grew up in a cult, apocalyptic doomsday cult type thing, which is something I'm sort of dealing with now, but at the time, and the reason why this relates to radio is because the leader was a guy that used to hire airtime on Radio Luxembourg and do like um, a religious show on, on Radio Luxembourg. I'd be at home with my mum and my stepdad and we'd be listening to, you know, she'd be trying to work out when the world was going to end and when, you know, God was coming back. And I'd be trying to go, how's that bloke in LA talking to me from the box in my lounge in Watford? I just couldn't get my head around it. But because I think because mum and my stepdad were so transfixed on everything he said, that's the only thing, because I can't pinpoint where it where it came from. But it the more I look into it, the more it has to be that because... It was such a massive part of our weekend evenings where they would sit and listen to this guy talking out of this box in Watford and he was in some mansion in LA. And I just thought that that has to be where I got the the feels for radio. But my mum was always into radio. My mum listened to Capital. She listened to Radio London, Robbie Vincent, Tony Blackburn, Chris Tarrant, of course, at Capital. So she was always a massive radio fan. We'd all, we would always have Tarrant on on the way to school. Always. So I think the connection of those two things, I think that gave me my kind of, I need to do that. So you talk about this guy in LA who's talking to you. I mean, was he the leader of the cult then, was he? Yeah, he was He was the chosen one. He was the apostle, um, self, self-appointed self apostle. He he used radio as a, as a medium to expand his flock, I suppose. That's <laughs> But yeah, he, he, used, he used radio to do that. And I think, again... We look at the power of radio now and, and what radio can do for people and radio can take somebody out of a mood. It can 
help somebody that's dealing with something horrific in their life and make them take away for 10 or 15 minutes by what we do on the radio. This guy was using radio to entice people into into his into his flock, into his gathering. I, b- I bet he couldn't hit a vocal like you, though, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was shit. I mean, he wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mate, get some phone calls on. Let's have some fun. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's it's a really weird one because normally when people ask me that question, I just say, you know, listen to Capital and stuff. But the more uh, I'm actually dealing with that part of my life at the moment. So I think, and I'm able to talk about it now and it's, it's absolutely fine. But before it was quite a closed book for me. It's not something you say to Capital. Yeah. You know, when Richard Park asked you why you got into radio, you say, well, I grew up in a cult. <laughs> You're never going to get in. Um, so, yeah, I don't really talk about that that much. But now I'm, I'm starting to deal with that process in my own way. And, and, and now it's a bit of an open book. So, yeah, I, I can only look at the fact that this guy was on Luxembourg, which then meant I listened to Luxembourg outside of his show because obviously my mum listened to that, but I would know what Luxembourg was. So I'd hear all this music and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Which then went on to Laser 558 with Charlie Wolf and people like that. And yeah, just got the radio bug. And I was addicted to Capital, like obsessed, I would say. Well, not too dissimilar to a previous episode with Cam Kelly. Um, yeah. I feel that, you know... It- because Cam talked about how he he actually started his career at Radio 1, obviously not on air, but... Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, amazing. But his dream was to get on Capital, and I know we'll get on to Capital in a bit, but was was that your dream? Was it... Yeah, you, 100%. You, yeah. 100%. I would, I would go to Euston. I would sit in the outside Euston Tower waiting for Pat and Mick to come out. I would scarp and help along the child and meet Chris Tarrant at the record fair in Euston Tower. I would pretend to be on Capital... I'd said 95.8 Capital FM many times before I'd actually said it in the building. I'd said it at hospital radio stations on pre-fade. I think maybe an escapism to, to some of that stuff I talked about in my past, but but Capital gave me something as a kid. It gave me... The station... The Capital was a really weird station because every presenter had their own identity. So you had Chris Tarrant, you had Martin Collins, Pat Sharp, Mick Brown, Margarita at the point... Uh, uh, all of those presented, they had their own unique personalities inside this massive personality, which was 95.8 Capital FM and this this massive American booming voiceover. And the voiceover, would you remember Neil Long? And they used to go, Neil Long, Seamus Contract is... And, and it, stuff like that was just brilliant. <laughs> so the station had an identity and a personality. And within that, all these presenters worked their own form of personality into the into the actual station, which worked perfectly. So you knew you were listening to Capital. We'll, we'll come back to Capital because there's a few stations and there's there's a lot that we can talk about Capital. And again, a, a bit like Cam, I I love the fact that you you achieved your dream to get on that station. But let's get back to that in a bit. So, okay. t- tell me your first professional gig, then, Chris. Where where was that? So. Uh, the bedroom FM stuff I did, which was fun. I pretended to be on Capital. I pretend I had a radio station called Radio Watford, which ironically is what Scott Mills's radio station was called in Love. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it was called Radio Watford. I was like, shit, that's my radio station. We got Scott Mills. Wow. So I started in the hospital radio. I moved back to Eastbourne. Um, when I, as soon as I could, when I was 16, obviously there were things going on at home that I was trying to move away from. So I went back to live with my dad. So I lived in Eastbourne for probably about a year and a half. I went back there and I worked at Radio DGH, which actually, when I was going to do some research for this, Zora Silliman, Rick Scott, 
Jess Clark, Andy Knight, who was on Southern Overnights at the time. There was actually quite a lot of people that came from this hospital radio station that I've seen now and gone, wow, this must have been quite a good station. Um, so Radio DGH in Eastbourne, which is still going. That was my first ever chance at actual radio. I did City Radio in Watford when I moved back, and I did um, college radio at Hertfordshire University. I wasn't a student. I gatecrashed. I just rocked up. They never knew. <laughs> For a year, I was a student. Um, and, yeah, I did crush. And then I sent tapes to a guy called Paul Chandler, um, who was at the Hot FM at Chilton, and I heard um, Emma, Red Heart Emma Scott, because that's her name. I heard oh, her talking yeah. about this as well. And what a first gig. I mean, that station, even now, would be a huge gig. It was a it was a half network, half the country radio station. And I went to, yeah, I went there. I sent a demo down. I got a letter from Paul. I got lots of letters from Paul that were standard, standard, standard letters. And then I got one one day. And I remember rereading it and thinking, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't the same letter as the one I had before. It was slightly different. It was a little bit more encouraging. And I, I rang him up, a bit like um, uh, Steph's story. I, I rang him up and he answered the phone and I spoke to him and he called me in for a coffee, went for a chat, did some TOing work. And then one day I was TOing Mark Franklin's uh, Horizon 12 Tour 2 music jam and the tape snapped and it, it got caught up in the machine. And boom. I was on air for no. the, the rest of the forty-five minutes of that show. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a really, it was a really weird moment. It was Horizon. It was where the Hot FM network was. It was. Yeah, I was toing the show in it, and I didn't break the tape. But everyone says, "Did you?" No, yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> Come on, Chris. Yeah. Now's the time. Come on. <laughs> but the the first time I did a full show was was a similar situation where I was toing something at Chilton Radio in Bedford. And I can't remember the circumstances, but Andy Wint didn't turn up for his breakfast show. And I was in the building. So I thought, well, I, I, can, I can do this. I've done hospital radio. So I did the Chilton Radio breakfast show in Bedford as my first full gig. And a guy called Steve Power, that was my boss, rung me up halfway through it. And I mean, I can only imagine his face must have been red with veins popping out of his face. All I remember saying was, but I thought, and he went, I don't fucking pay you to think. I pay you to press buttons. <laughs> and I thought it's probably the greatest line a manager's ever said. I don't pay you to think, I pay you to press buttons. <laughs> I love the fact that you just went for it, though. I, I don't, I'm trying to think if I would have done that. I probably wouldn't have done that. So you had some balls on you. It's just thought, do you know what? I'll do it. I thought at the time, I thought if I do it and I get sacked... And somebody ever says, did you ever do professional radio? I go, yeah, definitely. I did Chilton Radio Breakfast. It's not a bad. I could probably blag my way into capital by going, yeah, I've been doing Chilton Radio Breakfast for a while. <laughs> so I think, I don't know. I, I didn't really know what else to do. I thought, we well, can't just TO it and play 2020 Travel every 20 minutes. Surely somebody needs to talk. This guy hadn't turned up. Um, I think he did turn up in the end. I think his alarm clock went. So he was in at sort of 10 to 8. And then sort of Steve rang me shouting. But to be fair, I didn't really know what else to do. I could have rung him and asked for his advice, but I thought, no, I won't wake him up. I'll just do it. I'm fine. Absolutely fair play. I mean, did, did you have the voice then? Did you? Yeah, that- it was. It, I wasn't very good, and I listen back to even Hot FM air checks now, and and I'm doing the same as a lot of people have said. I'm sort of trying to get everything on digital, but it's weird when you listen back. And who was it? Was it Steph that said that some you had this mid Atlantic or Australian even, and yeah, this weird yeah. like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, Capital yeah. FM. Yeah. And and now you don't hear that. And and she was right with the Christmas cover on Radio One. We had a guy here at Radio Essex do it, a guy called Connor. And you don't you don't hear that anymore. They're just they're just talking normally, like we do now on the radio. And it's 
It is a really weird thing that we used to do that. But then I suppose growing up listening to Laser 558 and Evangelists from LA, <laughs> I was going to have some kind of a mid-Atlantic twang. <laughs> but yeah, then and then the Hot FM was, was where I started. I got weekend overnights, 30 quid a shift, Bosch. Yeah, loving that. And that was, yeah, Chilton 97.6. So Dunstable, Hearts, Beds and Bucks, Bedfordshire, Northants 96, Horizon, Seven Sound, Galaxy. I mean, that was my first proper gig. Incredible. Amazing. So so I'm getting lost. There's so many stations that you've got then, Chris. So you're at Chilton and then where next after there? Couple of shifts at Metro. Uh, Giles Squire poached me off the back of a Chris Farrell demo tape where I was doing a handover with Chris Farrell. Chris did get a job. He, he went to TFM and... Giles poached me for Metro and I did some overnights the northeast night shift did a couple and they offered me something but my daughter had just been born and it, it was just the wrong time and there was no support up there for me in Newcastle everyone was down you know in Watford and Eastbourne so I, I couldn't do it um, so I stayed with Chilton on the Hot FM and I got North Ants 96 Drive in the end which I started in 93, 94 so it was a Hot FM station um, I was doing Drive with Neil Bentley was on the station Mark Collins, Tim Allen, uh, Moyles had just started on evenings on the network. So, yeah, that was my first proper, you know, Monday to Friday big gig was North Ants 96. Do you ever regret not staying at Metro? I know you talked about your daughter, but obviously Metro was a, was a huge station, wasn't it, up north? I think, yeah, and Giles was a huge name in the industry. And I, I, I think what he could have maybe done well I don't know because my career's turned out fine so yeah yeah absolutely I'm, I'm, yeah. Kind of, I'm kind of and, and actually for me I mean Metro you grew up in Hull didn't you so you, you'll That's be right. more aware of Metro for me it was all about capital and going to Metro would have taken me away from L- London it would have meant that people in London wouldn't have heard me so in my in my head I'm thinking if I can get on the Hot FM and you think about the Hot FM Martin Collins Paul McKenna uh, Red Heart, Emma Scott, Mark Franklin, all these names went off to do big things. Trevor Marshall was at Capital for a while. They all went off to do really big radio in, in London. So I think as a as a London boy, as a Watford boy, I wanted to I wanted to be more around here. And the Hot FM was a huge radio station. It was it was I mean it was massive. It's interesting you mentioned that actually because y- y- you are right. So I, as you say, I'm from Hull, and one thing I've realised doing Crunch and Roll is that there is a bit of a divide between the north and south. Like, everybody I've spoken to from, from down south, the capital was the station they wanted to be mm. on. And, and uh, you know, everybody up north, we all wanted to be on capital because it was so amazing. But, I mean, I, I never really heard capital. Uh, I knew that Tarrant was amazing on breakfast, but I didn't know what was so special about it. And I guess that's why I asked about Metro, because I see that as being that huge station up north. But you are... Do, do you see what I'm saying? There is, there is a, a slight divide between the north and south. I think it's where you grew up, isn't it? I think it's what your mum listened to, what your dad listened to. Um, Capital, for me, wasn't. I wasn't listening to it as an anorak and and getting air checks sent down to me. I was listening to it on 95.8 on my radio in the car with my mum. And I think also that feeling of coming back from Eastbourne to see my dad and coming back into Watford and coming back into London and being out of tune into 95.8. And you just thought, oh, I'm home. You can hear Capital again. It it, it just had, it just resonated with the people around and and it it hit me... Really early on, Capital, it just it hit me between the eyes. People like Pat Sharp and how he sounded on the radio and the energy that came out the box was just incredible. And I think, so for me, it's probably because I grew up with Capital. If I lived in Birmingham, it would have been BRMB. My wife comes from Birmingham, so her dad was a massive Les Ross fan. And to him, BRMB was, was, was Capital. It was, it was the biggest radio station in the world. So I, I get that. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. 
So, so where, where, just run us through where next then. So where, where, where did you move so to North, next? North Ants, uh, GWR came in. The It was a horrible, horrible buyout. We'd gone from sort of the Hot FM to the, to the Better Music Mix format. And it, I did it for a couple of years. And they gave me evenings, which was fun because I was doing sort of Hot 7 at 7 type stuff. So I was able to have a little bit more personality, but I just didn't like it. Um, and I heard about a station in Coventry called Kicks, Kicks 96. Cam Kelly was there. Um, Big John was there. Nick Tuff. There was some really good names there. And I, it was only 40 minutes up the road and they were sort of playing the hits. And I think with Kicks, Kicks was... Um, and I, so I went there, I signed a contract to do uh, Drive on Kicks. And Kicks for me was my first taste almost of Capital, if that makes sense. It was this city and it had this radio station in the city that was all about this city and I think it gave me some real grounding of how you would do a station like Capital it was it was a bit of a learning curve for me and it was called the Sky Blue City you had a Premier League football club there um, so it felt quite big even though actually Coventry is quite a small city and the station was quite a small radio station but when you're on the radio whether you're on hospital radio whether you're on Capital Radio Essex it there's a microphone, there's some music, and what you do with it is what you do with it. So, Kicks to me was amazing. And also, Muff Murfin, who owned it, Muff and Ginny. Muff made all the jingles for Capital in the 80s, 90s, but never sold the rights to Capital. So, Capital never owned them. So, we had all the resung. So, Kicks were basically playing the great music for a great city package across Coventry. So, for me as an anorak as well, I was like, oh my God, this is where I want to work. Um, so, I joined Kicks and yeah, I really enjoyed Kicks. It was good. Worked with people like Dave Kelly, who's now on the Cayman Islands, but obviously from Galaxy and stations like that. Worked with Dave there. Quite a few people from there. Uh, Perry Spiller did some BBC radio. There was quite a lot of people from there that went off to to, to do yeah. big things. Cam Kelly obviously was there as well. All right, so you mentioned um, Dave Kelly there, your time at Kicks. Yeah. Um, a little birdie tells me that you went on Dave Kelly's stag do, and this little birdie said, just mentioned to Chris Brooks, Top Golf. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Dave Kelly stag do in Vegas, which was uh, which was amazing. And there were some some really cool people. It was like a who's who of of radio um, and me. Um, from, no, it actually it was more sort of northern radio, and I, I think it was the only sort of southern DJ there. And we had a really really good time. We stayed at the MGM, and we went to Top Golf, which was next to the MGM. So. We were this top golf wasn't like the one in Watford. This one had a swimming pool, swim up bar. I mean it was it was incredible. So we're in swimming shorts, we're swimming up to the bar, and it's Jordan Hemingway's um birthday. So he was I can't remember how old he was, but he was getting the bumps in the swimming pool by all the lads that were that were with us. His his shorts came down. So he's now stark naked. We hide his short, we throw his shorts away. He's stark naked in a swimming pool in Vegas in the corner there's a guy and I mean if you play sort of GTA or anything and you come across any of the the triads this this was the guy he looked the tattoos really dangerous looking type of guy with two beautiful women on deck chairs they're just sitting on their own casually minding their business which I'm quite happy with because I'd already clocked them thinking we we probably want to leave them alone (laughs) Jordan comes out the swimming pool holds his bits and starts running around the swimming pool. I don't think he spotted the triad guy. So he's running past, anyway, runs past this guy and he's not happy. He's not impressed at all. Jordan starts like that and waves at the girl. This guy gets up and pulls out the biggest knife I've ever, like some kind of crocodile Dundee shit. It was, it was ridiculous. (laughs) 
and starts chasing Jordan around the swimming pool with a knife. And then in the end, the police turn up and, you know, they all get arrested. And there's loads of people with this guy that it's it's I was scared to shit because it felt when I'd watched The Hangover, I was like, well, that doesn't happen. That's just a film. And there I am at MGM with people being threatened by a knife. And that <laughs> evening, to, to get the Mike Tyson bit in there, that evening we went to a club and was hanging out with Anthony Joshua, who was in this club. So it, it literally felt like the hangover. <laughs> well, there's um, stuff on the Well, I'm all for being open-minded, but I'm not all for discussing this live on air. Thank you. We are profoundly uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. A lot of talent went through Kicks. Yeah, Kicks was a big station actually for 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 talent finding. I thought Muff and Ginny were really good at giving people a chance. I mean, the money was shit, <laughs> but they, they would give you they would give you a chance to express yourself on air. And I know Dave Kelly, for instance, pretty much went to Galaxy from Kicks, um, which is in you know from a station of that size at Kicks to do what Dave did next on. Was he use network evenings across that Galaxy um, station? I think that was that was what Kicks was really good for it was a great training school it sounded professional we, we run it professionally and it was it was a fun city with a few nightclubs in it some students so you're out there in gigs at night it just felt it just felt really big did you move to coventry then or did you just commute yeah i did i lived in north Ants for a while with karen my wife and then we moved to um so i met karen at north Ants. she came in uh, for a job interview, actually, and I remember saying to the boss, "She seems brilliant. Take her on." <laughs> <laughs> She's, you don't know what I've I've interviewed her for. You know, she seems good. Take, get her in here. And you know so, what? The, the weird thing with Karen, I was so shy, really shy. I'm I'm fine on the radio, but I'm actually quite a shy person. I couldn't strike up a conversation with. Her. I was like, I don't know what to say. And then my mate was doing some digging around, and he went, "You've got the same birthday." And I was like, "No way." And he went, yeah, October the 3rd. It's the same birthday as hers. So, boom, I mean, I've got a line, haven't I? It's like, we got the wow. same birthday. <laughs> Which I can say I've never forgotten. <laughs> yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we'd, move, we'd move to Coventry together. Um, we got a first flat together in Cov. And then um, I was doing Capital Cafe at the same time in Leicester Square. So I'd kind of made some inroads into Capital. And I remember really struggling with it because I was doing five days a week at Kicks two weekend shifts at Capital and I thought I'm going to need to drop one of them and if I drop Capital is that would that be it is that going to be the end of my sort of Capital dream so I picked up the phone and I rang Capital I rang and I said can I speak to Richard Park please he didn't know me from Adam he wouldn't have known who I was and um, I don't think he was hands on with the presenters in the cafe downstairs and the chefs <laughs> yeah. um, so I said to this this woman I said can I speak to Richard Park she went who is it I said it's Chris Brooks I work at the Capital Cafe I've got really important career decision, decision to make and I need his advice she laughed me off I mean she was rude put the phone down <laughs> she said she'd pass the message on 10 minutes late my mobile rings and it's her and she went I've got Richard Park on the phone no I honestly I shit myself I was Jesus. like what the fuck so there he is the Scottish accent which I never ever try and do he's on the phone he said how can I help you and I said I'm I'm doing kicks 96 in Coventry I'm loving it I'm on air but with you I've got capital jingles and I'm I'm basically on capital bit in a restaurant and he went it's an easy decision he said if you're going to come to capital and he said which I think you will in the future you need to stay on the radio he said stay at kicks leave capital I'll square it with the bosses here leave capital stay at kicks and it was the best decision I made but it was weird that it came from Richard Park and I just remember how revered he was and how everyone said oh red cards and yellow cards for Pat Sharp and this guy's a horrible man he was he was such a radio person he was 
the fact I'd rang him, the reason he rang me back is because he was so passionate about what we do. He's, he was a radio man and still is a radio man. So he could see that I had this dilemma and he wanted to help me through it. And I'll never forget the fact he, he called me back. I mean, it was just incredible. He must have been aware of you as well. Which yeah, I think I think so. And since that, I've heard stories that um, Tony Aldridge was once sent down from Southern. He was at Southern. He was sent up to Capital to talk about this guy he'd worked with at Essex FM, which was me. And I, I know since then that there's there's always been conversations about it. And a few years later, I was uh, well, we can get onto that in a bit. Where I was at Capital, I was I was hosting a, a spin-off show on BBC Three for Fame Academy, and he was the headmaster on Fame Academy. And I was in the car park one one day in, in a break having a cigarette and he walked past me and he was the PD of magic at the time. And I introduced myself and I said, oh, I'm Chris Brooks from Capital. And he went, I know who you are. And I was like, oh, my God, Richard Park knows who I am. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not on hospital radio anymore. I'm the weekend <laughs> breakfast show guy at Capital. People would know who I am because I'm on Capital. But, yeah, it was just just knowing that he knew who I was was, was extraordinary, yeah. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Like, the, the feelings. I've had very similar feelings with other bosses of, of a similar level and experience to Richard Park where it, when they just say hello to you, you kind of crumble. And you're thinking, I'm a father of two children here. Like, yeah. I'm not, what's going on? It's because they hold the key to your dream. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Absolutely. That's what so it when, is. is. I mean, when, when he shook your hand, I mean, <laughs> you just hosted a TV show, you know, and you, you, you know, you're on, a, on one of the biggest stations in the world and you still yeah. crumble. I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I, I just think because he, he was the guy that invented that radio station I listened to as a kid, he was the guy that had come over and made that big personality radio station with those type of presenters on it. I just respected everything he'd done in radio. So it, to actually meet him, for him to recognise me and and know that I was on Capital and he'd just left Capital, he'd, he'd left to go to Magic. It was, yeah, just a, a yeah, really, really cool, really cool moment. All right, so you're, you're at Kix. So where did you go from Kix? Essex FM. I, right, went, okay. I went to Essex. Paul Chandler was the PD at Essex. I was at Kix. I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't get heard by London people. Essex had an opportunity. Money was awful. And I said, I'll take it. It was a late show for DMG. The, well, it was Daily Mail. It was owned by the Daily Mail. And it was based in this... It was a really cool building. And actually, Essex FM at the time had just come off the back of that reality TV show called Lakesiders with Martin Day. And he had become a massive star on this show. So actually, the feels from Essex FM were quite big. It, it felt really big. It was on it was on the telly every every weekend on BBC One. Mind Day was on ITV shows on a Saturday night and it'd become a bit of a national treasure. So actually Essex had, had a really big feel to it and everyone listened. I mean it was one of those stations you walked around in Essex and everywhere he went, Essex FM was on. I think they were doing a forty percent reach and with a one point three million TSA, that's that's a decent a decent amount of people getting to hear you. So yeah, I started on lates, but within six months, GWR turned up, and I was like, "Oh shit, I've been, <laughs> I've been found." Um, but it wasn't actually; it wasn't as bad as before. I think because Essex was such a big station, they didn't really know what to do with it because it was it was doing massive numbers, and so I think some of the GWR stations that they turned around hadn't done as well as they expected. So they had this massive radio station in Essex doing doing massive, you know, big numbers, four hundred thousand listeners. Why change it? So I think they implemented a few things, but a lot of it stayed pretty much as it was. There was a guy on evenings called John Leach, who was a massive legend in Essex, still is, does BBC Essex and some other stations as well. And he was doing evenings, but it was a, it was a great show. It was a soul, dance, R&B type show. 
And I was thinking, there's no way GWR are keeping this on an evening show. That's not going to happen. It's all hot seven at seven. And Dirk came down with Steve. They knew me from North Ants and, and they basically gave me the evening show from Lates. Yeah, so I did that. And I remember the local newspaper, I realised how big SXF was. The local newspaper had it as a front page story that this guy had come down from Coventry to steal John Leach's evening show. And it was <laughs> it was really scary. And there was some comments in there and it was it was horrible. But the guys just said, do, you know, just do your thing, play the hits. It'll be fine. And it was. It was fine. We had record-breaking radio figures and... I just yeah I love that time it was really it was really good fun and then there was a guy a guy turned up to work for us um, to be the PD a guy called Jeff O'Brien who had come in from New Zealand but he'd come from Capital he'd worked at Capital Gold so he'd worked with Richard Park and he'd come to Essex FM to be the PD and because he'd been at Capital I was able to sort of talk to him and say look that's my dream that's where I want to be. So when he coached me, he'd coach me as an Essex FM presenter, GWR presenter, but he would also say, you know, when you're at Capital, this is this is how you're going to have to do this. And this, when I think back to it, what, what a beautiful thing to do for somebody. Yeah, I've never heard that before. That's incredible. He believed I could make it to Capital. He was, he was my biggest fan. He was, I mean, he bollocked me all the time, but he was, he kind of put his arm around me a bit. I was a little bit lost. I kind of, I was stuck at Essex I was 29 nearly 30 and I'm like I need to make that that move's got to happen soon and I think he felt the frustration he bought in a swing jock which was Neil Long who I mentioned earlier Neil Long shame his contract isn't and he bought in Neil to Essex he'd just left Capital because obviously his contract had run out and he turned up at Capital uh, to Essex and I was like shit Neil Long's on the same station as me all these things that happen and I do, you know, what Steph talks about, achieve and believe. I always had that mantra. I remember it from a sales book, what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. And I always had that. I had pictures of Capital in my car. When I had a Cortina, I remember having a picture of an MR2 in my Cortina because I knew that one day I'd drive the MR2. So I've always had that kind of, that belief structure in me. And I think that definitely helped me. Well, it, it's the reason I went to Capital. I was so stubborn about it. But when you start seeing things like, oh my God, this guy's on the station and I could easily get the capital because he's now where I am and you start piecing it all together, it gives you the confidence. Jeff O'Brien was an amazing PD, amazing. We Essex under GWR was a really, really big station. Sounded huge. Do you know, Chris, there was no way from everything you've said that you were never going to not be on capital. Like I, I've, Out of everybody that I've spoken to, I've never... The, I, the, the passion, the passion you had to be on that station is just incredible. I, it always sounds really big-headed, but I knew that I'd be at Capital. I'd never had any doubt. I, I knew when I got to twenty nine thirty, I was starting to get a little bit worried about it. I just knew. I just knew it was going to happen. It was destiny. Sounds a bit wanky, but it, I just knew it was. I was going to be at Capital, and it, I had to be. I had no backup. I had no other other choice. Essex FM was fine. It was uh, it was a really good station. But, but that's pretty much when Neil Long joined. That's when it all happened. I remember my dad was always... My dad didn't really understand radio, and he'd always say, you know, Chris Evans left Virgin in 2001, and he was like, give Virgin a ring, get the breakfast show. <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? Just ring up Virgin and say, my name's also Chris. <laughs> Let me come and do your breakfast show. And I sort of said to him, Mate, you can't just rock up to a station like Virgin as the Essex FM Evening Show guy and go, can I come and do breakfast? Unless, <laughs> unless you're a TO and the tape snaps, and then you just go on anyway. <laughs> um, Bless you, Dad. Yeah, that, and, and that was, um, 
that's actually quite a big point in my life, and I'll explain in a in a bit when we when we get onto the actual capital bit. But I remember um, uh, the big thing that happened at Essex. One of the biggest things in my life is Jeff rang me up one day and said, um, "We're bringing in a co-presenter for your evening show." And I was like, no, 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 I don't want a co-presenter. I'm going to Capital on my own. I need to be on my own. And I was like, who is it? And it was Scott from the boy band Five. And I was like, what? And he went, Scott from Five. He's, a, he's an Essex boy, loves a bit of radio. I was like, brilliant, give him his own show. Don't, don't, give him, don't put him on my show. I was doing the evening show, Hot 30 Countdown. At the time, Five were number one with Let's Dance. It was obviously going to be the evening show they were going to put him on. They weren't going to put him on breakfast. So in comes Scott from Five, fancy doing a bit of radio, and I was so I was so pissed off. I was I was rude to him. I didn't speak to him in the studio. You, can you imagine that though? I mean, it's like I'd built oh, this absolutely. Sh- I built yeah. this shop on my own. I had no intention yeah. of being a co-presenter. I wanted to be on Capital as me, and in comes Boy Band, and I'm like, what the fuck? Um, and you know, annoyingly, he was quite good at it. <laughs> Um, was he? he did um, a computer review show. It was all right, and then in the end, he. Sorry, he... Chris. Can I just? I, I just need to. We need to talk about that. So the boss of the radio station thinks the best thing to do is to bring in. I mean, they're one of the biggest boy bands at the time. They were number one on the chart. I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they were huge. I, yeah. mean, I was a big fan. I was a big. Keep on moving is one of the best. I was ever, a big anyway. fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they bring him in to review computer games. Mm. I know. I'm doing a chart show, playing boy bands week in, week out. We bring a boy band guy in, and he's reviewing FIFA, and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. We're not even a, we're not even doing a computer, but we're doing a music show. It, it was really, really weird. It, I'd sort of said to Scott, you know, I've been doing this all my life. This is what I want to do. I want to be at Capital. I want to be Chris Brooks, not Chris and Scott. I want to, I want to just live that life. And he got it. And to be fair. Um, my dad passed away about a year after this and I took some time off work and he rang me, Scott rang me and he said, mate, I heard about your dad. If there's anything me or Kerry can do for you, it's his wife, anything we can do, mate, just holler, just, just let me know I'm there for you, blah, blah, blah. And I remember turning to Karen saying, shit, he's actually a really nice guy. He actually genuinely, he genuinely likes me. He, <laughs> I've been a complete twat to this guy but he, he's actually really not. It's not his fault I want to be at Capital. And it all suddenly clicked. And obviously, I'm going through hell anyway. My dad's just passed away. But in the back of my mind, I had this, you're going to need to apologise to him because you've been, you know, a proper arsehole. Uh, he left Essex and he had a bit of a run-in with, with Jeff O'Brien over wages. He left and we just we just stayed in touch. We were they started hanging out more. Our family started hanging out more. And to this day now, he's he's my best mate. We're we're inseparable. We do a radio show together now because I let him. Um, he's reviewing computer <laughs> games. No, <laughs> um, but he he's been yeah he's 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 an amazing guy and and I just feel so bad when I think back to how I treated him. He brings it up at every opportunity. If he met you, yeah, he'd absolutely. go. Chris was a horrible man. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's because you were so focused, though. Well, and that's that's the word I was yeah, looking for. So and luckily, focused. and luckily for uh, luckily to someone like Scott and what he's achieved in his life, and how he set out to do what he did in in the band, he got exactly where I was coming from. He he completely got it. He'd been going to drama school. He went to Sylvia Young. He did his, his um, you know, he was in some original Hail and Pace scripts because he wanted to do more TV stuff. He auditioned for every boy band going, and then he got the gig at five. So. It, yeah, he completely understood where I was coming from, and and actually, when he when he understood that that was who I was as well, we're very similar. He he was um yeah he was 
just really genuinely nice about it. Um, but yeah, but the, the the whole capital thing came from. I was doing a show on Essex, so Scott had left. It was just me. I was on on the Hot Thirty, and there was really heavy snow on the M11. Uh, really bad. People were sleeping in their cars. It was it was awful. And I said to Jeff, I said, "Shall I? Let's not take Graham Torrington. I should just stay on and make sure we can do a show for these because that's what we do after all, isn't it? That's, that's the job. That's what we're we're there to inform and entertain." So there wasn't any other stations doing that. So I said, "Well, I'll stay on." People were trapped in their cars and. He agreed, and it turned out that someone from Capital was on the M11 that night, and I got oh. yeah, and uh, that's that started the ball rolling. Jesus, what your life, Chris, is just incredible. I when I when I was doing some research for this, I was going through with my wife, and I was like, "What if he hadn't been on the M11? What if it hadn't <laughs> what if it hadn't snowed? Because." There's a whole sliding doors thing in there with all our careers. There's a yeah. you know what if. <laughs> Yeah. It, it and then maybe you start to think about destiny and stuff and and it, but I just believed all the time. I just I just believed. I said it all the time. In, I remember standing at a bus stop in St Albans. I remember it vividly waiting for a bus to get me home from my shift and I was how would I say 95.8 capital you know I I just say it out loud. People must have thought I was mental. I think we all are a little bit mental. <laughs> so that person heard you on the M11, the stuck on the the motorway. Yeah. So what happened next? So I got an email from a guy called Jeff Smith who was PD at Capital, and he said he loved what I did. He heard some reports about me. Somebody had obviously told him about me from the M11 thing, and I was going to Greece, and he said, could you come in and see me when you get back from Greece? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I was on my honeymoon, going on my honeymoon. While I was in Greece, I was looking at Digital Spy, which we were all addicted to in 2000, 2001. I was in a fucking (laughs) cafe in the middle of nowhere in Zakynthos. On the internet, trying to find out the gossip. Fuck it. Jeff Smith had left Capital. And I was like, oh. what? And oh. I, I, I just thought my dream is over. I'm married to the, my the, the favourite person in the world and I'm on honeymoon. Things were good. This was a bit of a downer. This was like, <laughs> Jeff Smith left Capital. He only rung me a week and a half ago. So at the same time, Essex had said they were going to network the Hot 30 from Bristol and think I should go for it to be the presenter of Core Control. So I spoke to somebody on the phone at GWR and was told pretty much it, if I wanted it, it was mine. It was they, they wanted to offer it to me. Me and Karen started looking at places where she worked in Watford and I worked in Bristol. So we were looking at places like Windsor, which is a bad, wow. bad yeah. thing to do. Um, but we, yeah, we looked around the area and we were we were looking at you know how that was going to work. And I was I was happy. It was a network show, GWR network doing the Hot Thirty. Um, but I just wanted to work for Capital. Now, I hadn't signed the deal yet, um, and I was due to go to Bristol on Friday to sign the deal. Then I got a call from a guy called Rick Blacksell from Capital. Uh, it was a Monday morning. It was 9 o'clock. I was covering Drive on Essex FM for James Bassam, who was away, so I, I was on afternoons. And it was in the morning. Rick Blacksell rung my phone. Um, I knew of his name because of Smash Hits and Radio 1. He produced Simon Mayo and people like that, so I knew he was at Capital. And he'd just been appointed PD, and he said that, it got to his new desk and it was empty apart from my tape, which was in the in his top drawer and a note from Jeff saying, you need to listen to this guy. He listened and he asked me to meet him at Liverpool Street Station. So I got on a train. I went to Liverpool Street. I get heart palpitations thinking about it now. Got to Liverpool Street Station. There's a massive water fountain outside it. We sat around there. It was a sunny day chatting about radio. He could see that I was a proper anorak. Um... 
And he offered me the job. He said, I want you to be Chris Tarrant on the weekends. I want you to take on weekend breakfast. And I thought, Jesus. it's got to be overnights. Weekend breakfast. It was, the be- it was, you know, I've had kids, which was amazing. Being married was amazing. Take those things aside because they're real life things. This was career-wise the, the biggest validation and... It was it was just huge. I couldn't. I thought I was going to explode. I, I've never felt feels like that before. You know, I know people talk about drugs and stuff like that. Bollocks! This is that's the high you want to be on. That was just ridiculous. It was amazing. Didn't even ask about money. He went, "Do you want to know how much it is?" And I went, "Oh yeah, come on, because I'm doing it for free. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I've been doing it since I was nine. <laughs> yeah." And he, I told him how much core control it offered me, and he he basically doubled it. He went, "We'll double it." And I was like, "This is like some kind of fairy tale thing." It was mental. I, I'm just thinking about your train journey back up to Essex. That, that, <laughs> you must have just been tra- that train journey. You just must have flown. You should have heard that drive show that afternoon, mate. I was on fire. <laughs> I was <Okay>. like, <laughs> people must have been like, "Jesus, he's good." Yeah, I, I got back on the train. I was going straight back to South End to do the um, drive show, and I rang my wife. Obviously, first person I rang, and I was like, "It's happened." I'm going to Capital, and I was crying. Um, it was it was the most emotional and high point of my life. I rang Scott next. He was just, I mean, he was made up. He was, he was absolutely, yeah, he was over the moon as well. And, and I, I went into Capital. I couldn't tell anyone at Essex, sorry, I couldn't tell anyone. And um, yeah, and then I had to make the call to say to them, I didn't want to do core control. I'm going to Capital. There was a whole conversation about, yeah, but it's 40 stations across the UK. And I'm like, mate, it's not 95.8 Capital FM, so I'm out. <laughs> I really, I loved GWR. I love Dirk. I love Steve Orchard. The people I work with, Jeff O'Brien, Paul Chandler, even from the beginning of Essex Effort, all the people I worked with there, Mark Lee was the managing director. They were just incredible people and, and lovely people to work with. But when, you, when you've got a passion to do so, when it's that, you know, it's, I was that passionate about working for Capital, I couldn't turn it down. I, I wasn't, and it wasn't even a weekend overnight. It was weekend breakfast. It was like crazy. So I took, I took the job and I went, to, I went to Capital. My first day was pie in the park, 2002. No. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. must have just thought, shit. They um they got me to the side of the stage and then they put me on the stage. Bearing in mind, Party in the Park's hundred thousand people, and they said, "Just want to introduce you to your new to your new colleagues and your new listeners," and pushed me to the side of the stage. And I just looked out. I wasn't on the stage. I just looked out. It was just a sea of heads. I was like, shit. I'd done the you know the Bloom Festival in Northampton. This was this was another level. This was this was just ridiculous. It was yeah, and th- and that was my that was my first day at work. I met everybody. Uh, my wife was there with her backstage passes. They told her to bring a few friends with her. It, it was just brilliant. It was just an amazing day. Can you remember the lineup then when you first started? Yeah, um, Chris Tarrant. Of course, you can, of course you can, Chris. Of course you can. <laughs> I can I can go back further if you want. No, uh, Chris Chris Tarrant uh, Tarrant on breakfast as was as he was on my way to school with my mum, Margarita Taylor on mid mornings, Martin Collins on one till four. Dr. Dr. Fox on Drive Time and Simon Schoolboy Phillips on the late on the evening show and they just took on Steve Penk to do uh, to come back to Capital to do lates. And Justin Walks on overnights. What a lineup. Yeah, it it went bad, was it? It was, <laughs> it, was um, it was an incredible place to work and and I was a bit worried when I went in there because when you work at smaller stations sometimes there can be the bullshit presenters that could just you know, there was nothing like that at Capital. Maybe because everyone had made it. I, I'd, I'd imagine that happens. You get there and you go, oh, I'm here now. I can be less of a twat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, 
yeah, it was it was the, the stuff of dreams. It was incredible. Can you can you remember? And I asked Cam the same question, um, and I don't think he can remember. But can you? Rem- I think he probably can. Chris. Yeah. Can you remember your first link on yeah, Capital? Absolutely. I can remember. I remember my producer was Ben Cooper, who. Um, was on he was producing weekends at Capital and I was like I'm so nervous I don't know what to say and, and he just said get the station name out there straight away and I was thinking well that that's a given <laughs> that's yeah. all that's all I've got in my head um I can't remember the exact words but I remember putting the mic up and saying 95.8 Capital FM and I remember hearing it back in my in my headphones out of this old Clyde desk at the back of well where they are now at Capital and it just fucking it was it was so big it was it was the biggest. It was ridiculously big. It, the, capital sounded good anyway, but it it just it it sounded huge. And I remember thinking, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is it!" And I had a good show. I did a good show. Ben was an amazing producer. I mean, the best producer I've worked with. He, he was. He got me really quickly. He understood how I worked and uh, and was a great producer. Do you know because it was such a? I mean, the biggest station. When you work at the smaller stations, like we you just mentioned there, there's often that team, you know, that, that, that you're together as a team, and you so. I mean, did you socialise much with yeah. the rest of the capital lot? Did yeah. that go on? Yeah, it did. Um, probably more so with other presenters. You know, Tarrant wasn't coming down the eighties on a Thursday night, <laughs> but um, I joined with people like Debbie Mack. Um, got on really well yeah. with Debbie. Uh, Ingrid had come down from Newcastle, so there was a lot of us that were new. Tim Litchfield, some 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 new talent that we sort of we we looked after each other. Margarita Taylor was always the first to to, to welcome people in, and um, she was amazing. But no, no, they were all amazing. Schoolie was. I still talk to Schoolie now. We we we're really good mates, and we used to go out to Sound in Leicester Square. We'd you know I'd say to him, "I'll meet you after your evening show. We'll go for a beer, and it'd be ten o'clock, and we'd be in Sound, and at five o'clock in the morning, it'd be like." You're going into Old Compton Street to have breakfast and get in a train home on a Wednesday. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but yeah, everyone was really friendly. And, and, and obviously, for, for those reasons, Tarrant, who he was at the time with Millionaire and everything, and Foxy with Pop Idol, those guys weren't out as much as everyone else. But it was an amazing place to work. There was no, there didn't seem to be any hierarchy. I've heard people say that there was, and I've, I've met people that said, oh, Johnny wasn't that nice to me, or, you know, Tarrant wasn't that. I never had that. And I, I can only judge people on how I find them. And, I didn't really find anyone at Capital to be up their own asses, or it was just a really cool place to work. I say, I say, work loosely. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's worth saying that you, I mean, along with the weekend breakfast, um, weekday afternoon. I mean, you did some cover as well, didn't you? So you covered for I, I covered every single show. I've been on every show on Capital apart from the chart show. I've done every. So you, I've done every time band. You, you've covered Tarrant on breakfast. I covered Tarrant on breakfast, but also when Tarrant left breakfast. Before Johnny Vaughan started, there was a, a three or four week break period after Tarrant left and, and Johnny started. And I I was in David Lloyd in Basildon, in the gym in Basildon. That's the most Essex thing I've said. I was in David Lloyd in Basildon. <laughs> and um, I'm at the gym and my phone rings. I mean, it's a mate of mine called David Deans. He used to produce my show at Kicks in Coventry. And he went, mate, that's fucking amazing. And I'm like, what's amazing? Proper radio. I was like, what's amazing? He went, you're doing breakfast on Capital. And I was like, what? He went, well, Tarrant, when Tarrant leaves, you're doing breakfast. To- I had no, no one to rung me. And then oh. about 10 minutes later, Keith Pringle rang me and he said, I'm so sorry, the press release has gone out and we meant to talk to you first. I found out in the gym off my mate. <laughs> 
um, that I was covering breakfast. And it was it was really cool because I was doing weekend breakfast. I had a really good team on weekends. I had Richard Spencer at that time who was producing me. He used to produce Pepsi Chart. Um, really good friend of mine and, and another top producer. I had Mark Scott, who does sport, who now does the match of the day commentary, which is weird hearing him on there. He used to do sport with me and a couple of other guys and, and Emma Gordon on news. So they get that. I said, if I do it, you've got to give me my weekend team. Don't give me the weekend, the weekday breakfast team. I don't know anybody. Give me my team. So they did. So I had my weekend breakfast team with me, which put me at ease. And then on quarter past six, half six on that first Monday, when I was doing my first breakfast cover, Tarrant's first day not being on Capital as a full-time presenter for 30 years or whatever it was, somebody came in and said, share prices dropped 20 million or some, something like that. I'm thinking, all I've ever had to worry about before now was Rajar. Now you're, now you're quoting share prices at me. And it was because obviously Tarrant had gone and it was, you know, he, was, he wasn't coming back and the share price dropped while I was on air quite a lot. But I really loved it. I did three weeks of cover. Then I was Johnny's Depp as well. So when Johnny Vaughan started, I depped Johnny on breakfast. And I always knew it wasn't my show and it wasn't ever going to be my show. But I, and I never really wanted breakfast. That wasn't, it's never been a passion for me to do breakfast. But it, it, yeah, it was useful doing weekend breakfast because you could dip in mid afternoons, drive. And then it was Nick Goodman in the end. Well, GWR came in, didn't they? It was GCAP. I was like, this is like a. This is they, this keeps happening. Yeah, they they, they followed you around, Chris. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, G G Cap came in, and it, they were right. Obviously, they weren't going to better music mix ninety five point eight. I don't think. Um, I think there was an element of they didn't really know what to do with it. I mean, it was this huge, huge radio station, but it was losing audience. And under G Cap, unfortunately, they moved away from playing the hits, and you could see it as a jock as well. It was. The actual music scene had changed. There wasn't any boy bands. People like Scott and Five had split up, Take That split up. You didn't have that kind of pop music. It was all the kooks and choral, which is great music, but it wasn't really what Capital stood for. So we were going down this really weird road where we were playing indie music and, and also urban dance stuff. People from um, Capital Extra is called Choice at the time. They used to come in and go, mate, what's this tune? And you're like, you're not playing this. <laughs> Why are we playing it? And... We had these, we were teaming up with the Kiss DJ in America to do entertainment news. It just become this really weird station. It had gone back to being called Capital Radio. Never more than two ads in a row was another thing we started doing. And it was, all we did was talk about the fact that we never play more than two ads in a row. We just seemed to be talking about adverts all the time. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember thinking, you're not a manager, but you're thinking, don't people turn off when they hear the first advert? So we're just giving people more of a turn-off opportunity. We should play less ad. We could play two five-minute breaks would be better. Um, and it was, to be honest, it wasn't a great time. Like they gave me afternoons, which was which was brilliant. So I was doing one till four. And then Scott Muller came in from Nova in Australia. And he got it. He instantly got it. He's hit music. We need to be hit music station. JLS had just won or done whatever they did on Pop Idol. So there was a boy band back in the charts that steamed in with The Wanted and all the other boy bands turned up as well in One Direction eventually. So pop music actually made a return and I think at the same time Capital made a return. But I always remember thinking if Kiss, if Andy Roberts and Kiss had gone, we should call ourselves London's number one hit music station, I think we would have been fucked. I think Capital would have, I think Capital would have gone. I think if they had taken, if they had owned that positioning brand, they were, they were the sound of a fun young London. But if they, if they'd gone with hit music, and won that battle there, I, I don't think Capital would have got that back. We're having a party. Oh, yeah.
you mentioned Parky earlier. Have you got any memories of of Sir Parky? I, I mentioned earlier when I met him at Fame Academy, but when I when I was about 2017, I left Capital. No, 2007, I left Capital in 2009. 2007 was where I came off afternoons or 2008 and Paul Jackson who was the PD um, great PD for me really really good really encouraging and got that whole big city radio station thing to a T Um, he said to me listen we're not we're not renewing your contract it's you know the dream's over I was I was gutted and I was like oh okay and I was gutted because as I said with the Capital Radio and the no more than two ads in a row and the music policy it had been a pretty dark dark place to be and now I knew these guys were going to come in and turn it into this hit music station that it should always be and what it was when I joined. So I was gutted I wasn't going to be part of that. And he said, you get an exit interview with Richard um, so you can go and do that whenever. So I had this chat with Richard Park and I sat in his office and we'd, we'd sort of chatted. He knew that he knew about me, he knew of me from, you know, Fame Academy and from Kicks and stuff like that. And he knew that I'd been on Capital for, for seven or eight years. And he said, you look really down, you look really upset. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I just say to him how it is. And I said, well, it's been shit here for two years. You've turned up. You're going to turn it into what capital's supposed to be. And I'm going to be listening at home. <laughs> and I want to be part of it. I, I love this radio station. I said, I bleed this radio station. I, this is this is all I, I love this place. I love working here. Anyway, probably had about an hour with him. We talked about radio. We anoract. We're talking about people we knew in the industry. Really, really, to me, a really lovely guy. I, I never had any problems. And then... When I left, I was driving home and Paul Jackson rang me up and he said, don't know what you said to my dad, but can you stay on at Capital after you do it? Can you sign another year and do weekends, weekend afternoons? So, Amazing. yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I like to think that he he is a, a massive radio anorak and, or, you know, a radio fan and appreciated my love for Capital and actually thought, you know what? Let him do an hour of proper... Because I did Jingle Bell Ball, I did Summertime Ball, I got to do all of those things that they do now because of that last year at Capital. So, yeah, I, I felt like I was part of that rebrand into what Capital is now, and I was I was part of that journey. So for for that, I'd, I'd be forever grateful to, to Richard for that. It was amazing. You spend, I mean, a hefty time at Capital as well, right? You... You, you you fulfill your dream, Chris. Yeah. You get on you get on that iconic station, not just in this country, but around the world. And I don't want to bring it down because it's been so positive so far. But do you do you remember the, the day that you left and yeah. how you felt? Yeah. I I remember doing the last show. I was allowed to do my last show. I was allowed to talk about it. It was my last show. The texts were amazing. I've still got pictures of them and um it was emotional. And I was allowed to choose my last song. Uh, this brings, yeah, this this takes me right back. But I played Take That, Never Forget. Because it was it was always so important to me at Capital to remember the responsibility that there are people out there listening to you that want to be on Capital. They, they, they are you when you were living with mum in Watford. There's people like that now. And I, I always used to, people used to email me, I think, to be fair, and I don't want to name drop, but Greg James dropped me into his podcast. He was talking about the fact that he used to listen to me on Capital and I used to reply to him and give him coaching lessons and, you know, to give him coaching tips. And, and he always cites me as that one person he listened to that 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 wanted so he could get into radio, which which was amazing because for me it was Pat Sharp and for Greg James it was me. And it's that, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I met him weirdly about three weeks ago for the first time. And what a lovely, lovely guy Greg James is. And, and I think people don't realise Greg James is a the biggest anorak you will ever meet. I mean, up there with me and Hurst, he is an absolute anorak. 
just all about radio. Yeah, it talks about compression and stuff. It's weird because he's <laughs> he's obviously doing what he's doing. But yeah, so I, re- I think I realised that responsibility that y- you had to do that. And I think the, the song Never Forget says, you know, that one day this will be someone else's dream. And yeah, it was really, I played it. And every time, even if I play that song now on air, it's uh, I either have to turn it down or go, oh, I'm just going to make tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to wander off. But it, uh, Capital felt, like I was part of something, it, it felt like a family. I felt whole when I was there. I would, and and when I left, it was. I remember walking out the door, out of Leicester Square to the car park to go to my car. I remember looking back, and it Capital Radio London in those blue letters outside. I, I yeah, I choked up. But this, you know, I had two beautiful, three beautiful kids at the time. I had my beautiful wife. I mean, it was. I had loads of good, positive things in life. I had nine years in this building that will absolutely have some transferable skills and and something I could always talk about and people like you are interested in, and that's great. And it's it's amazing that I did that. But it was it was a hard it was a hard time when I left. I think the last couple of years at Capital with with Global and, and new people coming in, and I felt very I suffered quite badly with my mental health at Capital the last two or three years. The Lucio talked about the pressure in that building was ridiculous. Uh, when Global came in, uh, it was a really it had gone from. And I'm not knocking Global because I love what they're doing now. I love the way Capital sounds now, and I, I, I think that where they're at now is exactly you know where where they should be, and they they have a lot of mental health awareness in that building and, and they look after their staff. At the time when they first come in, it was, it, it, to me, it felt different. It was, I remember once ringing up because I had a panic attack at Liverpool Street Station. I couldn't, I couldn't go and do my show. I just couldn't do it. I, I went, I found a, one of the ambulance guys, paramedics that ride bikes around and I sort of stopped him and went, mate, I'm, I'm in a bad way. And he took me to a, a local NHS place and I was, I, I had a really bad panic attack and I rang up somebody I won't mention the name but I rang them up at Capital and then um, I said I can't come in to do the show I'm having a I'm having a panic attack and she kind of got it it was before it was sort of okay to well not okay but before people really talked about it and and she said to me um, right okay I'm going to tell I'm going to tell the guys you've had, you've been in a car accident and I remember thinking why wouldn't you just say that I'm having a panic attack but she knew it would probably end my career it would it, so they said that it was easier for them to say that I was in a, a car crash. And I, I just, you know, when I look back at that now, I realised that that was the kind of pressure we were under at Capital. It was a, it was quite a, re- it was quite a harsh environment. So, so answering your question, when I left Capital, there was, there was a sense of a, a bit of a burden released off my shoulders. Uh, that pressure, it did feel like it had started to, you know, when as soon as I left it, I could feel it easing off me as I was driving home. Um, but I missed it. I missed it ridiculously they I, I went back to do heart i was doing heart network just kept getting in the lift pressing the wrong button getting out of floor three thinking oh i'm not here anymore <laughs> i've got oh, go, i've got to go upstairs it was horrible when you when you when you the only thing i'd ever want to do in that building now when people say would you go to smooth or would you do that now nah, that building to me is capital it's not i i'm not not knocking anything else they do but i'd want to i'd want to be a capital and obviously i'm not going to do that now but yeah I, so heart was difficult there i i didn't really enjoy that as much I was going to ask you, so you went on to Heart. I mean, you worked there for a few years as yeah, well. Yeah, I did so. Heart. I did Heart Network for a bit. And then in the end, Tony Aldridge, who was my one of my bosses at Essex FM, asked me if I'd come down and do Drive on Heart Sussex. The Southern, as it was when it was um, a, a non-Heart station, was a station I'd listened to when I was at my dad's house in Eastbourne. So Southern was a 
yeah, station I loved and, and I was like, oh my God, I pretended to be on that station. So yeah, so I did Heart Sussex Drive for a while, but the commute was just, I was I was living in um, in Essex and travelling to Brighton every day and, and that, that commute in the end took its toll. So I did, did about a year and then Essex offered me some cover at Heart Essex, which was Essex FM, which I'd been on. So I knew the audience. Um, so I did some Martin Day cover, covered breakfast there for quite a lot of time and did a weekend Saturday afternoon show. Um just doing the heart thing and it didn't yeah I mean I think once you've done capital doing hearts quite difficult because capital was quite like loud and proud and hearts less <laughs> less loud and proud so but it, it, it's um I think it was Emma that said it you got to pay the mortgage and it was a way of doing that and I've got a skill that I can talk and play pink so <laughs> there <laughs> there I went um what, what, a, what a skill it is Chris as well yeah no it's a good thing to be able to do and then you do virgin as well yeah, Virgin Virgin came to me. I was at Essex. I, I'd, I'd left Heart Essex and they offered me drive at Radio Essex full time. So I, I came to do that. And while I was at Radio Essex, um, Stuart Davis rang me and said, hey, we're looking, we're looking at doing something that's very confidential. Could you come up and see me? So I went to see him at Virgin and he introduced me to the idea of Virgin Radio Groove, which to me was like, wow, yeah, this sounds good. Um, and there was an element for me as well doing Radio Essex, which is an amazing place to work. It's a smaller radio station to what I've done. And the idea of doing some stuff on Virgin Radio Groove with Bam Bam and Chris Evans and the you know the likes of those people was like, yeah, that's cool because that's a big brand. I can get back into a big brand. I've also got my dad ringing in my head going, told you you go to Virgin. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah that is, and also I did do a London breakfast show. So he, he basically got both of those things right. Um I write, you know, weirdly, my dad, my, my dad passed away. It was only six weeks after he passed away that I got that, that call from the M11. And it was literally after he died, six weeks later, I'm on Capital doing a weekend breakfast show across London, which he told me half a year ago I could have done. And I laughed in his face. But there you go. <laughs> um, so, there, yeah, I was on Virgin Radio Groove. I did it for about a year on the launch team. I was doing mids. Um, and, yeah, lockdown happened. So I was doing it all the way through lockdown, which, which was great because I was doing Essex. And uh, Virgin, which gave me a reason to get up. I got a studio at home, so I was, I was lucky. I was getting two paychecks as well throughout lockdown, so I was one of the lucky ones. Then I went on to weekends, and and then they said that they, they were making some changes. Um, and Groove's not there anymore, so I I sort of come off that. And I think I was probably not likely to get onto anthems or chilled. I think because I wasn't based in the building, I'm, I was a remote voice that did some remote work. I you know I think it made sense that. I wasn't going to move on to do the other type of stuff. And I, I love what I'm doing at Essex. So, yeah, I did it for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah, it was good fun. And there you are sat at, um, at Radio Essex. Where, I am. I mean, you're the gaffer. Yeah, so, yeah. So, do, you, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy being the boss? Yeah, I do. I love, yeah, because I'm a much better, I, I, no one's had a shit snoop here. <laughs> no, one's, no one's had a tape thrown at them. The kids that are here, the kids that are here, Jesus, I sound old. Well, Martin, Martin Day's here. I, I took Martin and Sue from from um, Heart Essex when when that all finished. So I've got a really solid heritage, you know, twenty five year breakfast show in Essex, which is amazing. I've got a guy on mid mornings called Connor Connor Knight, who was one of the Christmas covers on Radio One. Just gone, an amazing presenter. Um, got a young lad called Jack who does afternoons. I do drive with Scott. I can't believe you brought him back into your life. Chris. Yeah, I, do you know what? I would say, and I loved Capital, and I loved all the stations I worked at, I'm probably having the most fun now. You know when you were talking to, to Steph about 
oh uh, yeah, do you remember when we could do that? Remember when it, we do it? We we we're still doing it. They're not not you know we we obviously are aware of certain things. We we wouldn't go down certain roads, but the idea of putting the mic up and and doing a link and trying it out, we're doing that. All all the guys here are encouraged to do that. It's what got Connor onto to Radio One. It's Listener, I, I th- I've got a really different understanding of how I used to think of listeners. Listeners aren't driving in their car going, didn't you play a Lewis Capaldi song at 8.17? I don't, it, does, <laughs> it doesn't happen. They don't sit there and go, that travel news, I'm not sure that was, that was, was that in somebody's house or was that in a studio? They don't care. They just listen to the radio. So all you've got to do is put the mic up and keep them listening. It's, it's, it's not rocket science, as many people have said. It's, it, it, and that's what I've gone back to that. I'm, I'm doing that with with Scott. I'm I'm we're you know we're putting the mic on and we're we're having a laugh. We're playing the hits and Essex is a pretty cool county to work in as well. It's it's very London. It feels very London. Um, I love it. Really enjoy it. How awkward is it when Five release a new song and you go, oh, it doesn't quite cut the mustard. Scott. Well, we can't put that on the playlist. <laughs> they did release a whole album, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I think one of them made it onto a C list. So that's good. Um, <laughs> No, we we played it. We played them on drive. Um, uh, listen, uh, he's Scott's like a brother to me. We 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 are we're, the, we're best mates. I think on the air it works really well. We've known each other for twenty odd years. I know what I can say. He knows what he can say. We're never going to offend each other on air, and we look out for each other. We, you know, it's about mental health issues and stuff, and it, we we look after each other. We do a podcast together. Um, it, it, yeah, it's. It, it's really good fun, but yeah, I, I, he knew that that some of the five songs wouldn't be Radio Essex songs. We're a predominantly hit music radio station, and uh, and and some of the songs that were were slightly more album tracks. But we did play a couple of them, a couple of the tunes. I I think the stuff that Five did more recently, it it, it was was better than the original stuff because the original stuff was tailor made. Five, you know, Jay does the rap, you do this, Abs does this. Whereas the Five stuff now, that one of the songs. Um, it, it feels very much like it was about lockdown and it's called time. And it, it just, the, the ly- lyrically, the five songs now are, are brilliant. But then I suppose if your benchmark is Iggy Wiggy, I'm getting jiggy. Um, <laughs> I suppose there's not a lot to beat there. Uh, do you know um, what though, Chris? I, I, I hosted the, the West Brom Christmas light switch on. Nice. And Scott and two of the others, Richie, and I can't remember the other geezer. Um, uh, they Sean. turned up. Sean, yeah. And do you know what? They got out of this blacked out vehicle and they, they looked the same age as us. You know, yeah. they're, 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 they're knocking on as well. And then they got on stage and they've still got it. Incredible, still, isn't it? They can still dance and sing. I'm like, what, what, what's happened to me? I've fallen apart here. I think also when I, when I watch, every now and again, I'll go to a, a five gig. I've been to loads before and, and when they did Big Reunion and I went to the O2 and just watching my mate on stage as well. And I, I, bearing in mind, I didn't know them when they were in five. I met Scott two days after Five split up, so I don't even think I'd interview them as a DJ. I don't think they'd ever come into my station, so I never really knew. I knew who they were, but I never really met Scott before. So I've only ever known Scott when he wasn't in Five, and then he went into the big reunion, which was such a big thing, and I remember watching him on stage at the O2, and it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. What a guy, and the talent. Yeah, like you say, all the boys... They just got up on stage and they sing it and it sounds exactly the same as it did back in the day and you've got screaming, well, 50-year-olds now and that are loving it and, yeah, he's still he's still making a living out of it. He's, he's touring everywhere and he does drive here and, um, yeah, he's still, he's still going strong. Oh, yeah. Now, something I started recently on, on Crunch and Roll, so you won't have heard this yet, is I would like to know who you would like to hear on Crunch and Roll. 
That's a really good question. Dr. Fox. What is it about Foxy that you like? The the original, the OG Fox. Just because he just... With the fact he had a Harley Davidson that he used to drive yeah. to Capital, I mean, what? <laughs> I think his number plate was High Dr. F or something like that. It was crazy. He was just... He was he was a geek as well. He was a radio geek and anorak. He he came from you know Luxembourg and Wyvern and he'd had the same journey. But when he was at Capital, that whole it's what I said earlier about Capital created identities within the identity. So Doctor Fox was a a very different proposition to Martin Collins, and I just loved Doctor Fox's character on air. But I think the stories he's got would be incredible. Um, I just, I just, I just think he would be a, a really, really good person to to interview. And also, there was a lot of hidden stuff at Capital from when he was on Drive, and and you know, was he supposed to be the next Breakfast Show presenter? And is that why he left his contract? I, I, I think there'd be some fascinating stories um, there. And and yeah, just an all round nice guy. So that that would be who I'd like. And his jukebox. Oh my God, who was it? Steph mentioned Foxy's jukebox after the chart. She'd listened to. She had Karen listened to Foxy's jukebox. I remember having to go and cover it because Darren Proctor was on the chart and he wasn't allowed to do 95.8. So he did the chart and at seven it would finish. And there was this hour and a half jukebox that Foxy used to do as part of his contract after the chart. So they called me in to do the, the jukebox for an hour and a half. And I remember I remember going on, I remember getting ready, sitting myself up and I, I come out top of our... I'm like, right, London, you want to get your favourite tunes on 0207-484-5255, get your calls in now, blah, blah. And the guy looked at me, he went, you don't need to say the phone number. And I looked at the screen, it was just orange, it was just flashing, and I was like, he said, don't, you don't ever need to say the phone number here. I was like, yeah, but I've wanted to say it forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing guy, yeah, get him. Chris, thank you so much for, for being on Crunch and Roll. I, I, I'll be honest, like... <sighs> We didn't know about the cult thing, um, so no. Not many people. Being... There'll be a lot of people that hear that that will go, "What?" Um, yeah, I, it's not fascinated. something. I, yeah, it's not something I generally chat about. <laughs> no, but I've been. Mean, I'm working on. I'm working with a few people on a podcast about cults, and um, so nothing to do with radio. But if there's, if you have an interest in cults, keep an eye on Apple. Um, no, I want to. I want to. I'm doing something with somebody at the moment about it, which would be, yeah, I think quite fun. Now, Chris, have you done any voiceover work? Yes, yeah, I was, um, yeah, did some stuff um, back in the day, and I still do a few bits and pieces now. Anything that we would have heard? Uh, it's a really good question because uh, every DVD of Disney's um, Lion King and all that era Toy Story, I did the the voiceover at the beginning of the DVD. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was when I first got an agent at Capital. They said, "Oh, I got this voiceover for you," and I, I was I was new to voiceovers. I was like, "Oh, that sounds good." fucking hell the money was stupid I bought an MR2 I bought the MR2 that was on my Cortina I bought no! I bought the MR2 um, I got this gig <laughs> with Disney and I was literally now on the DVDs you get the DVD Toy Story or Monsters Inc that era I'm at the beginning going these are the other great titles from Disney yeah I did my first voiceover was Disney Pixar so smashing that wow. out of the park and I was, I, I, yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. When they told me how much, it was like, I, I, it was about eight grand. It was, it was crazy. For, I was in there for half an hour. I tell you, one day we're going to get a bill from everybody that's done crunch and roll for these <laughs> outros. Well, look, uh, as always, we get our guests to uh, to take us out. So okay. it's over to you. 
You've been listening to Crunchyroll with me, Chris Brooks. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunchyroll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Brachowski. Oh, yeah. At Capital, the airlock was where people that smoked used to smoke. Unless you were Chris Tarrant, then you'd just smoke your cigar wherever you were. But um, as the actual smokers were there, this was back in sort of 2001, 2002, you could, you could smoke in the airlock. So I'd gone out after my show. Foxy was on after me. I'd finished doing one till four. I was covering it, which eventually became my show. But I covered that show. I finished at four o'clock, had a little chat with Foxy, went out into the airlock. Yeah, yeah. And the airlock was quite big. And quite sort of dull, dully lit. It was, um, yeah, it was quite moody. So I, I lit a cigarette and um, I heard this voice go, oh, mate, you've got a light. And I turned round and it's George Michael. No. And I remember... That's amazing. I was just so blown away. I come from Watford, where George Michael had come from. He was a legend, obviously, in, in the world, but also especially from coming from Watford. And... I tried to just be cool. I was like, yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, no worries. I gave him a light. And then, because I just lit my cigarette, I ended up having a cigarette with George Michael and having a chat. And I was like, oh, I come from Watford. And he was just the nicest big celebrity I think I've ever met. He was so normal. I know that's that's what they're supposed to be, but he was. He was so uh, was such a lovely guy. And it turned out, we were talking about, he said, oh, what was your first job in Watford? And I said, oh, I worked at British Home Stores on the Lower High Street. And he was like, no way, that's my first job. And it turns out, and did some research afterwards, and it was, we both had exactly the same first job. Wow. Um, George Michael, lovely guy. And also then about three or four years later, he did, um, and I've met him a couple of times through Help a London Child and, and, and stuff like that, but he, he did a song with Mucha Buena called Real Love. I think that's what it was called. And I was on air one afternoon and Sheena from the music department, Sheena Mason, she came into the studio and she said, oh, George, my, and it, for these guys, it was all matter of fact. They've been at Capitol for years. It was like, this is normal. She went, oh, George Michael's just rung up. His people have just rung up. They're listening to you at the moment. George hasn't heard his new song on the radio yet and just wanted to know what it sounds like on the radio with all the compression and stuff. Oh, um, could you drop it? Could you play it? So I remember thinking... I, I do links all the time. How do I do a link for George Michael, who's now driving around London listening to this show, listening to me right now, and I'm just about to play his new song on the radio? Um, so I, I, d- I did the link, and uh, it turned out he loved it, he, and he sent a little message afterwards to say thanks. And, yeah, top guy. And and those memories of Capital, it's really weird when I think back to them now because it, it seems like a different lifetime, <laughs> but it but it happened.